Hi, Saints Hill family. Uh, and I'm so excited. In just two weeks from now, we're going to get to see you face to face. And I'm so excited about that. Um, you know, I was just talking with someone here as we're filming this that uh, I don't know if you've ever watched yourself on, on video, but it's never what I look like when I look at myself in the mirror. In the mirror, it's usually something like this or, you know, like this. And, and I don't do that. But when I do, my wife, Kathy, just laughs and laughs and laughs and laughs. And so it's fun to keep her happy with that. But all kidding aside, uh, my heart for us this evening is that you would, or we'd all feel encouraged and strengthened when we're done here tonight. And I just want to thank you so much for the privilege of being able to speak with you from time to time and, and want you to know that it's an extremely humbling experience. And so thank you. Uh, get your Bibles ready. We're going to be in Acts 14 and a number of different other places. So I hope you're ready for a lot of scripture tonight. Um, so let me pray real quick. God, we just ask uh, that this evening as we gather together, wherever we're at, or even if you're by yourself listening to this, um, that, that you would make our minds and our hearts attentive to Holy Spirit, what you have to teach us. Would you sort through all the stuff and take what is true from your scriptures and just let it penetrate into us tonight? And we thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a couple weeks ago, we were in Acts 14, and I just want to do a quick review to kind of get you up to speed so it blends into our text tonight. Uh, Paul and Barnabas were preaching. It says that they were preaching with such great power that many were being saved. And those Jews who shunned that message were trying to stir up distrust between uh, Paul and Barnabas and the Gentiles. They were trying to stir the, stir the pot, if you will. Um, and they were saying all kinds of horrendous things against Paul and Barnabas, but they kept preaching the gospel. The people in the city were divided, but Paul and Barnabas kept preaching the gospel. And a mob with some of the Jewish leaders were going to attack them and stone them, but they heard about it and they made an escape and went to the next town. What'd they do? And they started preaching the gospel. Paul noticed a man there with crippled feet and, uh, and who had never walked before. And he also noticed when he looked at him that he was a man of faith and that he had faith to be healed and a miraculous healing took place. And then the Jewish leaders from the previous town that they were at that tried to stone him, they caught up with him and this time they were successful and they stoned Paul and they left him for dead and they drug him out of town and the believers stood around him and he got up the very next day and they went to the next town and headed for Derby. And that's where we pick up the story. So hopefully you're in, in, in Acts 14 here. We're gonna start in verse uh, 21. And it starts like this. After preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia, where he was just stoned, may I add. Verse 22, where they strengthened the believers and they encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And we're going to land real heavy on that verse this evening. 
Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church, and with prayer and fasting, they turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Then they traveled back through Pisidia to Pamphylia. And finally, they returned by ship to Antioch of Syria, where their journey had begun. And the believers there had entrusted them to the grace of God to do the work they had now completed. And upon arriving in Antioch, they called the church together and reported everything that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles too. And they stayed there with the believers for a long time. This is God's word. Well, I, I would like to look at two things before we spend the bulk of our time in verse 22, like I'd mentioned. In verse 23, it says this, that they appointed elders everywhere they went at every new town and every church. And what we need to know here really simply is that God designed authority, order, and hierarchy. It's his design. And he designed it for our covering, for our blessing. Without it, there's chaos uh, so I would just ask you this, please pray for your elders, your leaders, the staff here at Saints Hill, that we would be uh, leaders that would listen carefully to what God's plan is and not our own, and that we would do that with great humility. And then in verse 27, it says that they reported everything that God had done, and that's all it says. There's no mention of any lengthy attempts to reconcile wrongs they'd encountered. There's no angry outbursts. Uh, there were no big-time press conferences about their successful campaign and no interviews on social media asking them to describe their pain. They just reported everything that God had done in and through them. Well, as we read through the book of Acts, uh, we see so often that Paul and Barnas had serious troubles to overcome, and they just kept going and going and going and walking long distances, long terrain. Uh, they were ridiculed and harassed and beaten physically almost dead. And yet they kept going with one goal in mind, and that was to preach the good news about Jesus. So I have a question for us all, me included. At what point <laughs> would you have jumped off the Jesus bus? Would it have been on one of those 100-mile treks through all the heat in the desert, or up and over a rocky mountain pass with just your tunic and your flip-flops? Or would it have been after you'd witnessed your leader, your teacher, having rocks thrown at him and left for dead for preaching the good news of the gospel? For some of us, all it might have taken is hearing those intense arguments against Paul and Barnabas, and we may have said at that point, well, we'll just blend into the cultural moment and giving this radical, powerful gospel message just a rest for a while. Or maybe we ought to just lay low with all this good news about Jesus stuff. So where in the world did they come up with their endurance, their energy? Where did they come up with all the resolve to keep going and going? And Doni said it so well in his teaching a couple weeks ago. He said this, uh, that they knew their calling from God and were committed to it, that they knew their identity in Christ, that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they preached nothing but the gospel. And I love this part, what he said. He said, and they never changed the subject. 
the believers that were watching Paul and Barnabas go through all this suffering had their own fair share of suffering as well. And in verse 21, we read that Paul and Barnabas went back to the very town that he was just stoned in. And how many of us would do that? If you or I were stoned in Sherwood, would you want to spend the night in Sherwood? I wouldn't. I'd want to get as far away as possible. But Paul and Barnabas knew that the believers there would need to be strengthened and encouraged to keep the faith even in the midst of many hardships and suffering. And that's exactly what the text says, and that's exactly what they did. I imagine that Paul would have still had some of the bruises, maybe even some still some open wounds from having rocks thrown at him until he was left for dead. That's what the text reads. And if you look up the geology of the area, there's not a whole lot of smooth rocks. <laughs> and I'm not saying I'd wanna get hit with smooth rocks like river rocks that we're familiar with around here. But nevertheless, he was stoned and left for dead. He would have still maybe had some of this bruising going on. And I imagine that as he was about ready to get up and give this message of encouragement and strengthening, that he may have even grimaced to himself saying, oh man, that one still really hurts. And, and we're in the crowd saying, thanks for the encouragement, Paul, <laughs> but is it really worth continuing? Have you ever asked yourself that question? I confess that I have. And the answer is always yes, yes, absolutely yes. <laughs> Whatever comes your way, it's absolutely worth continuing. Listen to what Paul said to the Corinthians and, and listen real carefully, please. And I believe this is up on a slide you can read along. Wait, pati we patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We've been beaten, been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us, and by our sincere love. We faithfully preach the truth. God's power is working in us, and we use the weapons of righteousness in the, in the right hand for attack and in the left hand for defense. And we serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. We are ignored even though we're well known. And we live close to death, but we're still alive. We've been beaten, but we have not been killed. And our hearts ache, but we always have joy. I love that. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to other, and we own nothing, and yet we have everything. Isn't that awesome? In Hebrews 12, it says this. It says, Jesus, because of the joy set before him. What does it say? It says, endured the cross. Well, how and Barnabas were so, how were they so strong in all this persecution? We ask the question again, where'd they keep their resolve? They had an encounter with Jesus. They knew their identity in Christ. They were filled with and walking in the power of the Spirit. 
they were completely surrendered. All in, all or nothing. They had grit and attitude of no compromise and the gospel was a hill they were willing to die on. And even through all these trials, they had an unwavering commitment for preaching the truth of the gospel. Well, I would have loved to have been there to hear that message, to hear actually how they encourage and strengthen the believers. And it doesn't say in this text, uh, but Paul and Barnabas had their eyes fixed on the finish line. They had their eyes fixed on Jesus the whole time. Several months ago, I was asked to speak um, to uh, some older gentlemen who were in their last part of their careers and looking forward to retirement. And these were guys um, that just had invited me to do this. And that guy that asked, asked, asked me to do this for them uh, is a man I deeply admire for many reasons, but mainly for his passion and commitment to Jesus. And he said to me, he said, I just look to you as someone who's finishing strong. Well, and immediately, like most of us, I felt honored, but I immediately started asking some questions of God. And they were these. God, am I really finishing strong? You say in your word that true disciples produce much fruit. God, where am I lacking fruit? And where do you need to still prune me and cut me so I can produce more fruit? Where, where does, or how does my life measure up against the truth in your word? And do I really keep my eyes on the finish line like Paul teaches? Well, Steve Farrar, um, a pastor in the Texas area, has a book called Finishing Strong, and he tells his story. And in 1945, and no, I wasn't born yet, uh, there were three young evangelists in their mid-20s filling auditoriums across the country. One of those was Billy Graham. And most of you, I'm guessing, have heard of Billy Graham. Billy Graham's last crusade was June 24th through the 26th, 2005 in Flushing Meadows Park in New York City. And there were over 90,000 believers that attended, or 90,000 New Yorkers that came to listen to that crusade. He was 87, and he lived to be 100 years old. Billy Graham finished strong, and he kept his eyes on the finish line. But who were the other two guys in 1945? You probably, I'd never heard of them, and I'm guessing that you haven't either. They were Chuck Templeton and Braun Clifford, and they were also filling stadiums all around the country, preaching the gospel message. And one evangelistic publication wrote an article about the men being most used of God during that time. And the article highlighted Chuck Templeton. Billy Graham was never mentioned. Braun Clifford in 1945 was called by many the most gifted preacher, and I'm quoting this, the gifted preacher that the church had seen in centuries. That's a couple hundred years. Why haven't we heard of those guys? Chuck Templeton quit preaching the gospel, took a job as a newspaper columnist because he no longer believed in the validity of the claims of Jesus. <laughs> and by 1954, the year I was born, uh, Braun Clifford lost his family, his ministry, his health to alcohol and financial irresponsibility. And he left his wife and his two Down syndrome children 
And at just 35 years old, he died of cirrhosis of the liver in a rundown hill hotel in Amarillo, Texas. And you might be saying to yourself, maybe not, but you're saying, great story, Jim, for a bunch of old guys ready to retire and then die, but not so fast. None of us know when we're going to breathe our last breath. We just don't know that. Our son John came home from his junior year after college, and he informed Kathy and I that he was going to fight forest fires this summer, um, or that summer. And it was for a private company down in Grants Bass called Grayback Forestry. And he had it all planned out. He was going to do it with uh, three of his buddies from college. But these weren't just regular guys. These were some of the most mature, polite, courteous, godly, and passionately in love with Jesus guys Kathy and I had known for a long, long time. And not only was their character and their faith strong, but they were strong, strong. They were big, and you can see it here in the picture. The bond that these four guys had was nothing less than remarkable as we watched them. And the fire crews were rough. Not all of the guys, but there was rough language and rough lifestyles. And these four young guys that you're looking at worked harder than anyone else and quickly won the respect of all their crew. They made these guys on, they made the guys on the crew pray with them every morning before they headed out to just cut brush or on a fire. And they shared the gospel with these guys. And after that summer was over, all we heard was great stories about the things that God had done. And the following summer, God was calling three of these four guys to different things. And our son fell in love with Zach's sister and ended up marrying her. Zach's the guy that's like this in the picture. And Matt was the only one who would fight fires for one more summer. And he's the gentleman we see with the beard. Matt married his college sweetheart from Corbin University that summer in July, and he wanted to earn a chunk of money <laughs> just to get him a good start, just being responsible. And on August 5th, 2008, just a month <laughs> into his new marriage, Matt and eight other firefighters had just finished putting out fires on a fire called the Iron Alps Complex Fire. It was in Northern California. And they were the last crew to be shuttled off back to base camp from the mountaintop. And they boarded the twin rotor Sikorsky helicopter and started to lift off. It lost power. And one of the rotor blades hit the limbs and it shattered. And the aircraft tumbled down the hill on a fiery crash and Matt was gone. And our son, John and Michael and Zach, the other three guys you saw in the picture, shared the eulogy at Matt's memorial service at Applegate Church in Medford. And after the service, <laughs> The owner of Grayback Forester came up to me and with tears in his eyes, he said this, I'll never forget it. He said, in all my years, I've never witnessed harder workers than these four guys. Four tough, strong young men who were never ashamed of their faith. They changed the lives of these guys they worked with forever and they changed my life.
Well, several weeks ago, I was just walking with my son down in Gold Beach area and, and I asked him what, what Matt's last days with his crew would have been like. And John talked with him a lot and, and he told this to me. He said he was still praying with him. He was still praying with him every day and he was still sharing the love of Jesus. Matt Hammer, as Billy Graham, ran a, a good race to the finish. What's the reason for these two stories? Because looking back at the great men and women of faith are always monuments to encourage us to stay strong in our faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says this, that it was by faith that Abel, it was by faith that Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Joseph and Moses and Rahab, and it would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and all the prophets. They all stand as a monument for us to keep, their, keep our faith. We want to run the race to win. And then in Hebrews 12, it starts right out and it says, since, therefore, since we are surrounded by this huge crowd of witnesses that he just list, listed off to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. What's the sin that trips me up? What's the sin? What it is, what's, what, what's that thing that trips you up? We just want to shed it. And he's making reference to the early Greek athletes. They actually completed in the nude uh, so that there was no air resistance. <laughs> no long robe to, to slow them down or to act like a sail. Um, and please don't go running like that. Um, but the point is here that they shed all that stuff so that they could run and get to the finish line faster. And it says... And let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us. And we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he's seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. In those early races, uh, they would place the trophy uh, at the finish line where you could see it. And if you look to the finish line, it was there to stir your motivation. And have you ever watched sprinters in the 100 meters, as they start at those starting blocks, they have their feet in the blocks and their hands right at the starting tape with their head down in concentration. And they take a few refreshing breaths. And then the starter says, set, and their eyes lift up in great concentration straight ahead to the finish line. And that's what Paul is getting at. They see a gold medal awaiting them, but we see King Jesus who's already given us the victory. All we have to do is run with endurance straight to the finish line. Paul, again in Corinthians, says this, don't you realize that the race, everyone run, that everyone runs the race, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not shadow boxing. 
I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. It's, it's worth reading that same piece in the, in the message. And here's what it says in the message. You've all been to the stadium and seen athletes race. Every run runs, one wins, run to win. All good athletes train hard. They do it for a gold medal that tarnishes and fades. You are after one that's gold eternally. I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got. No sloppy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. I'm not gonna get caught napping, telling everyone else all about it and missing it out on myself. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. So how do we learn to run with endurance? Um, after graduating from high school, I accepted a scholarship to play baseball uh, down in Arizona and maybe study a little bit. And I had the honor of playing under a coach by the name of Gary Ward, who ended up being one of the most winningest coaches in Division I NCAA history. And long before the season started, we found ourselves in the basketball clown plaques um, ready to run lines. And some of you may know what lines are. Most of you probably do. And he had us lined up and he said these things in his deep Norman, Oklahoma accent. And he said, gentlemen, we may lose one game, maybe two, but we will never lose because we were not in top condition mentally or physically. <laughs> that inspired us all. Uh, but we still had to do the work and we were about to get conditioned. And then as we're all standing there in the baseline of the gym, he, would, he said this, and I'll just never forget it. It really didn't have anything to do with motivation, but he said, gentlemen, the garbage cans are placed for your convenience. Please do not throw up on Coach Brown's basketball court. But what did he mean by those simple words of inspiration? The more we're mentally, physically, and spiritually uh, prepared, the stronger we will become when those hard last innings approach. We wouldn't be as likely to get weary or fatigued, less likely to make mental mistakes. And we wouldn't wander from the fundamentals or just give up. We'd be in top condition. How do we get in top condition in prayer for the race that Jesus has called us to? Eugene Peterson calls it this. He says, it's a long obedience in the same direction. Don't you love that? We get up every morning with a determination stirred by the Holy Spirit and say, I surrender again to you today. And we obey the word of God. And we enjoy every moment of every day knowing that we have the privilege of hosting the presence of God. Well, a couple more things and we're done. Uh, listen to Paul's advice for this in Timothy. Verse, verse 12, and, and this is what I want you to hear. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived. Verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned 
And we'll jump down to verse 16, and it says this, that all scripture is breathed by God and useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. He gives Timothy three important pieces of advice. Be prepared for persecution and trouble on your way to the finish line. Know that there are imposters and deceivers out there and don't wander from the truth of the scriptures. Family, we're in a time when we're seeing more and more persecution of Christians globally. And Christians are the most persecuted religious group in the world today. And if you were to do a quick search, you'd find and discover the horrifying things that are going on. And we're seeing more and more in our own country and it starts very subtly and creeps in all around us just the way Satan likes it. Stay with me. In Psalm 100, it says this, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. And on Tuesday of this week, the state of California put this effect order into effect, and I quote, it says, places of worship must discontinue singing. When Jesus was in the wilderness and tempted by Satan, uh, Satan said this, I will give you, he said, all these things if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus responded, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And in Matthew 10, Jesus said this to his apostles when he was sending them out. He said, look, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. Be as wary as snake and innocent as doves. But beware, for you will be handed over to the courts and beaten in the synagogues, and you must stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. This will be your opportunity to tell them about me. <laughs> Yes, to witness to the world. When you're arrested, arrested, don't worry about what you're going to say in your defense because you'll be given the right words at the right time. For it won't be you who will be talking. It will be the Holy Spirit through you. So our question is, are we willing and ready if it came to us being slandered, arrested, beaten for standing firm in our faith? Be wary of deceivers and don't wander from the truth in the scriptures. When we stay focused on God's word, we know that we're always getting reliable truth and our faith is always strengthened. When we stay committed to speaking God's truth, he always we always have the assurance that, it gets his, that we have his blessing with it. Well, church, uh, we're, we're done here, but um, I, I just want you to know that in all my years, <laughs> God has always remained faithful through the, all the really good stuff, through all the hard stuff. His love for me, for you, it never, never changes. And nothing, absolutely nothing can compare with the love of Jesus. There's nothing more fulfilling Nothing more sweeter than walking with Jesus. He is the person that give us, gives us our freedom. He gives us hope. 
It's he that dops us into his family. And now more than ever, we need to be a people that are all in, all or nothing. And I want to be a man that when I reach that last breath, (laughs) may be able to say like Billy Graham was able to say, like Matt Hammer was able to say, and like Apostle Paul was able to say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. If you're a believer today, I just want to encourage you to stand strong in your faith. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. You will never, never, ever regret it. God is always faithful. If you don't know Jesus, now's your time. The Bible says that if we believe in Jesus and we believe that he died in our place, and we just offer up our sin to him and confess it, that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we enter into a new family. We're adopted with a new identity, and we get freedom. And if you've in any way prayed that as I've spoken those things, or if you want to talk to somebody, please call us. Get in contact with us. We want to talk with you and pray with you and welcome you into the family. So let me just pray uh, wherever you are, and we'll close tonight. God, we just thank you uh, for the truth in your scriptures. We love you so much. And we want to be men and women that stand firm in our faith, strengthened and encouraged to run a race that you've called us to run with endurance. And so we pray that as we open up the scriptures and that we sit in your presence, that you would do exactly what you said that you would do to encourage us thoroughly, to equip us thoroughly in every good thing that you want us to do. And so we love you, we lay down, we surrender once again to you, and we thank you and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.